Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Matt Chat. This is David Miracatani. Today it is my pleasure to be joined by national champion, Olympic champion, RTC from the New York uh, City coach, and probably most importantly, the guy that took me around in Oklahoma State on my recruiting visit, Kendall Cross. Kendall, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks, David. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, long time catching up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure has, sure has. I think the, the community is small, and, and uh, so, you know, it, it goes way back, but it's a small group. For sure. So uh, are you, how are you surviving that, that nor'easter that's been out there? No, man, I'm, I'm thawing out right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, yesterday I was thinking, oh, my gosh, uh, I, I kind of miss Dallas, you know? Yeah, but, yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, I just talked to a friend of mine down in Texas, and he had no idea how bad it was. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's pretty brutal. I, 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 yeah, yeah. This is this is my first winter up here. I've, I've you know I've been up here, but only as a visitor, and um, you know so. But the day in and day out cold, it's pretty intense. Yeah, for sure. Makes you tough though. And that's what you're doing up there is building champions. So there's nothing wrong with that. No, so, yeah. no. Well, when um I found out I was going to get a chance to talk to you, there's so many different ways to go with this. Sometimes I talk to guys about you know their childhood and how they got into it and everything else, but. <clears throat> Excuse me. The thing that sticks out to me the most about you is isn't just the successes you've had, but the successes you've had after not succeeding. I don't want to use the word failure because you failed. Well, no, I think that's a, I think that's a, I think that's a fair uh, you know characterization. You know, you uh, everybody fails. You know, right? It's, but you got to fail at a yeah. hot, lot higher level than most of us ever dreamed of. So, <laughs> um, you know, so I, I just don't want to be harsh like that. But yeah, I mean, obviously, the 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 opposite of success is failure. So, you know, I kind of want to talk to you about just some of you know uh, maybe a specific situation or two, and then just your philosophy on that. So, the the first thing that really sticks out to me was, I think it was your junior year. You're at Carver Hawkeye. You're wrestling brands, and you lose like. 19 to 9, I think it was like 9 takedowns to 9 escapes. So, you know, maybe the score wasn't as bad as it actually was. And then, you know, you come back and beat that guy six weeks later, one and nothing at the Nationals. And, I, you know, there's so many questions like, you know, how do you watch enough tape to, you know, fix 9 takedowns? I know not being a carver probably helped the second time around, but just walk me through maybe the first match and then kind of what happened in those six weeks leading up to that and then your know, mindset going into the match the second time yeah well first thing i gotta tell you it's it's kind of a you know those that those two matches um i i, I have conversations with some of uh, you know like randy lewis uh, he randy lewis is funny man he uh would uh jab me about um having nine escapes in that match <laughs> and um you know 19 to 9 so 20 to 9 i don't know what it was it was it was like all takedowns to escapes and um, he was jacking me, and he's like, yeah, man, I think you broke him with your escapes. <laughs> <laughs> like Gilman broke Lezak from the bottom, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, after, after a while, he just quit even trying to take you down. He just started letting you up because you broke him. <laughs> I was like, I like that, man. I like it. Yeah, I broke it. Far be from Randy Lewis to find the silver lining for a cowboy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, – so and it would actually, you know, toward that, you know, that's kind of when you come off of a loss like that, where you just get, aside from getting your butt beat, I was just, you know, demoralized, you know, and um, you know, coming off of that, I think when it, what was what was important for me to do is, 
try to put it in perspective and, and say, well, is he really, um, you know, nine point nine takedowns better than me within one match? Um, my answer is no. And I think it's important for me to think that, you know, and so to, to go from getting beat 19 to nine to, you know, winning one zero, um, it wasn't this huge sea change of, of strategy and technique. It was really just putting things in perspective and saying, look, man, um, okay, he, that's what he did. Yes. And, um, yes, it was in Carver Hawk. I don't think that has near as much to do with it. I don't think wrestling has a whole lot of home field advantage, to tell you the truth. That's um, you don't see it like other, you don't you don't really see it like other sports. I mean, there's a little bit, but you know, you crack heads and everything happens so fast. Once you crack heads or you know, the whistle blows, um, it, a lot of it's autopilot, and and so you know, there isn't a lot of time to think and you know, um, change and you know, you just you you wind yourself up and you go. And um, so I don't I don't know that. Um, Again, I just don't think that it was this big, huge sea change of, of uh, strategy and technique that changed it. I think it was mindset and perspective. And um, one thing, uh, David, that I really um, prided myself in, and I don't think I knew this at the time, but it, it was something that just came natural to me. And, and I'll say natural because I think it was it's in my nature uh-huh. to, to um, be very positive, like almost to a fault. Um, and so it allowed me to kind of forget or just, you know, like not keep that in memory, you know, what happened to me. Okay. And, um, so I could go forward and say, all right, man, I do this. If I do that, if I do that, then I'll get this result. And even if I'm, um, you know, not spot on with getting, you know, doing a to get B, um, my mindset is that that will happen. And then, so it puts me in the game, if that makes sense. It does, but it's. It's interesting, like you said, you know, I don't think home, you know, home field really matters that much. And, you know, you go into autopilot once you, I think to, you know, use your phrase, once we start cracking heads, shake hands, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that's probably a sign of mental strength that I think maybe you take for granted. Because I think for a lot of people, you know, 16,000 people screaming at you in that bowl of Carver Hawkeye probably is a thing. You know? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Maybe that's, um, you know, maybe that's kind of alluding to the, the whole notion that, you know, just by nature, I'm super positive. And, you know, I'm not, it's not a, that's not a braggadocious statement. I just think that that's the way I've always kind of thought, like, you know, just always gave myself a chance. It just didn't matter if the dude was better. Um, is Terry Brands, Tom Brands, either one of them, are they better than me? I don't, you know, maybe. Um, but that doesn't mean I can't win. You know, in, that's a in, real, that's a really interesting, I'm sorry to interrupt. That's a really, really interesting statement, right? Cause you know, I think a lot of people do this, you know, there's all this positive self-talk, right? Like I'm better than Kendall. I'm better than Kendall. I'm going to be Kendall. And so they're like, Kendall might be better than me, but maybe he has a bad day and I have a good day and I can beat him. Yeah. Yeah. Build a plan, build a strategy, um, execute it, you know, execution is important, but I think it starts with, um, being optimistic about the whole situation. You know, um, it's, it's really cool that I um, came across like a after I got through with the Olympics and you know I would you know two Olympics and um, four shots at an NCAA title. I won one. Um, didn't make any national teams or world teams. You know, I tried out six times uh, over the course of seven years and and made two teams and they just happened to be the Olympic teams. 
And um, which is kind of nice. You know? yeah. I'll take those. I mean, if you're gonna, those tend to be a bigger deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. And um, so I, you know, I, over over that span of time, you know, I, I understood. I started to understand, you know, what common characteristics. Um, uh, you know, of very well, you can say very successful people, or you can call them champions. You know, what's the sure. what's that? What are the common characteristics of a champion? And one of them that really resonates with me is this whole idea of um, it, it, some people are I, psychologists call it like a positive perfectionist. And I don't claim to be a perfectionist, but I think maybe I lean towards that when it comes to my wrestling or when it when I was competing. Um, but a positive perfectionist is one who um, is very adaptive in the things that happens to him. Okay. And and what I mean by that is, like you can you can have ne- you can have failures, you can make mistakes, um, you can have doubts. Um, but how much um, concern you put over your mistakes, your doubts, your fears, your failures. Um, it will affect how you do. And so I think what I was able to do is really minimize how concerned I was over my mistakes okay. or whether I was going to mess up or, um, you know, uh, my doubts. Um, so I had a really high expectation of myself, but I had very low concern over the mistakes and doubts. That's interesting. You're able to separate the two, which is, you know, is difficult for a lot of people to do. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's unique, but I don't think it's something that I work for. I think it was just kind of natural. I don't okay. think it was something. I wouldn't think I was aware of it. You know, I, again, I, I came, you know, to, to reading things about, you know, just common characteristics of champions at the Olympic level. You know, the Olympic Committee did these, these big these, – they do studies every year, every quad, you know, um, trying to kind of determine some of the common traits that medalists have. And um, that was one that really resonated with me was just your ability to um, have a short memory, you know, after you get your ass kicked, you know. Right. <laughs> and uh, and um, so to come off of losing to, you know, Tom Brands 19 to 9, then six weeks later beat him 1-0, I think it requires that. Did, and, your, did and, your coaching staff spend, like, did you guys even watch the tape? I mean, I remember I've coached guys and the tape was so bad. I didn't want them to watch it. You know, I'm like, this this isn't going to help. I mean, did you guys break it down? Did you guys even talk about the match going into nationals? Or was it just, well, stuff happens, you know, it was a bad night, and you just move on? No, you know, no, we watched tapes. You know, one thing, when I got to Oklahoma State, one of the big glaring changes that from, from coming out of high school, going into college and wrestling for a program um, like Oklahoma State was the amount – of analysis, um, critical analysis, like what what is he doing, what am I doing? Um, so it was more, did I watch that particular match where I got beat? Um, we didn't focus on that. But what we did focus on is um, what are Tom Brands' tendencies? Where is he getting beat? So it was more about going and watching him wrestle other guys and seeing where his weak areas are and, and uh, where can we fit in. And so it wasn't just about trying to look at me wrestling him. Yeah. It, it There was a, you know, a component of that, but it was more about where's he weak? Where can we, where can we take advantage of him? Where, where is he getting beat? Um, you know, what does he do here? What does he do there? How, you know, how often does he, when he comes back from 
going out of bounds, how soon does he shoot? What does he tie up with? What leg does he step forward with? So just um, knowing what's going to happen so I can try to, well, one, predict it, and two, take advantage of it. Yeah, I think predictability is something that um, I did a little jujitsu after I got done wrestling, and, you know, it's it's like a whole different Rubik's Cube, right? Like it's a different sport with different rules, and, you know, if you can grapple, it helps, but, you know, it's really different, especially when you put a gi on. And there were certain holds, just like in wrestling, you know, where you can make somebody somewhat predictable. There's only X amount of things they can do out of that hold. And it sounds like that was something that really – you know, allowed you to sort of narrow narrow down what he could do to you and, and be able to stop that stuff. Yes. Yeah, it was. And, and, and you know, also, uh, David, understanding myself, like, what am I doing? Where am I good? Where am I bad? Why, where did he burn me? Why did he burn me? Um, how do I, if I can't, if I don't have time to fix it, which was the case then, I didn't have time to fix things really, um, but I did have time to learn how to avoid them. Like, don't get in there, don't get there, don't get here. You can be here, that's fine here, but not there, you know. And so those were the kind of conversations that I had with my coaches. And and luckily, I was around some great minds, David, at the time. You know, I had, um, you know, Joe C. was my head coach. And um, Bruce Burnett, who, you know, was later our national team coach and just recently, you know, coached the Rio team. Bruce Burnett. He's a genius, right? He's yeah, he's a, he's a full-on genius. Yeah, and and in a lot of different ways too. He doesn't have one little genius. He has many. He knows how to. He's full-on genius. <laughs> he, yeah. yeah, and um, so I was around really good people, and I trusted them, and you know, I think that had uh, that helped. You know, it, it put yourself around good people, and you know, I did, I know I didn't want to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, and so I had a lot of help. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you you mentioned a lot of things here. I mean, I, I was writing some things down. As you said, you talked about predictability. Um, you talked about finding his weaknesses versus your strengths. And, you know, I think that's smart in coaching, right? Like, you know, like I probably don't want to get an overhook with you, right? You know, but maybe there's some other positions where I might have more success. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know where those would be, but, you know, I definitely don't want to get in your wheelhouse. So right. when you're, you know, I had some questions written down, but I'm kind of going to just jump around. So yeah, sure. and people get caught up in focusing, um, you know, on and, and you and I talked a little bit about this getting, you know, just when I was introducing myself, you know, that people get caught up in improving weaknesses and you mentioned sometimes it's really important to focus on people's their own strengths. So the other thing that I always was amazed by when I watched you wrestle, and it, to me it was really clear. The matches you lost, the guys didn't wrestle your style. The matches you won, you made them wrestle the way you wanted to wrestle. And you were undoubtedly the best guy in the world in several positions. You know, if, if, you know, whatever you want to call those, but situations or positions. And when you got there, it was a wrap. You were going to win or nobody was going to win. So, you know, yeah. now that you're That's coaching. The... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no. No, no I was just going to say, so no. how do you, like, if you're working, you know, X amount of hours a week, how much time do you focus on, here's how I make sure I wrestle 
you know, the Russian or the Iranian or whoever the case may be in my positions, how much do you, time do you spend on getting better in the positions you're not the best in the world at? I, I would say maybe in uh, splitting those two, 80-20, 70-30, and, and where you're focusing on your strengths, like strengthening your strengths. Of course you have to – you know, um, fix weaknesses, especially if it's an area that you did, you're just going to, it's unavoidable. But, you know, what, I mean, look at, I'll, I'll use John Smith, you know, um, as an example towards, you know, the kind of things that he did when he competed, when he was on the mat in competition, um, the match never went into, or the match always stayed into his areas. He, he, he um, I wouldn't say forced it. He just, he just uh, put himself in the positions that they would have to wrestle him where he was very, very knowledgeable. I mean, of course, he had a wide range of knowledge, but at, at the end of the day, um, he, dudes were always fighting low singles. They were always uh, dealing with ankle laces. Um, and so, and where was he good? That's, that's where he was good. And so I, I would say the majority of my time uh, was spent strengthening my strengths and learning how to more or less avoid the areas that I'm weak and not try to fix them. You spend time fixing your your weaknesses, you're taken away from strengthening your strength or strengths. So how do you develop your strengths then if, you know, you come in in the beginning, like we got a lot of young guys that listen to the show, a lot of kids and a lot of kids coaches. So, you know, if, mm -hmm. if I'm a year or two in, you know, and I don't probably have any strengths or weaknesses, you know, like are you focusing on body type, flexibility, strength like sort of uh guys are drawn to certain moves and techniques like do you teach them a bunch would you teach them a bunch of techniques and then figure out which ones they're good at and then make them great at that or or what t how would you approach that you know they, um having you know been a coach for the last 15 20 years and um, at different levels too um you know i I, th I think the biggest thing that I would pay attention, if I were to do it over again, if I were to know what I know right now and start coaching a, an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, or really kind of 10 age, age 10, 12 is where you'd maybe ideally start, um, I would tune into what they can do physically and then back into the equation like what, okay, this kid can, he's, he's, he can balance on his head, you know, and so – um, maybe we can send him in this direction. He can he can back arch. He can uh, move fast. He's got explosion. Then you've got a kid who can't touch his toes. And, um, you know, that kid, well, maybe you keep him really basic and maybe uh, he's not getting underneath the guy or trying to step around and throw somebody. And so you back into the equation kind of based on body type. So, and, uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm not so well. I know that it's not, it's not what we do here in the United States. I know that, you know, we kind of take this this broad stroke and of okay, let's learn a double leg, and you got to have a penetration step, and you got to have a shot, you know, and all these things, these these mantras that we've created um, that generally fit. But um, when it gets to the higher levels and to being really good, um, you you would want to gear it towards, you know, your body type. Some kids aren't strong. Some kids have, you know, will never have a strong back. And so, but they can still win. You know, that's one of the beauties of the sport. It's one of the things I love about wrestling is it just doesn't, it doesn't require that you be um, this strong or this fast or um, this technical or, 
you can find ways. Right. You know, I mean, Terry Brands, Tom Brands, they were very, very good world champions, Olympic champion, for very different reasons than I was. Right. I, I would say opposite end of the spectrum. I, I um, would too, yeah. And so, you know, so for, for Terry Brands or Tom Brands to learn the things that I was doing um, wouldn't be ideal. For me to learn the things or try the things that they do wouldn't be ideal. You know, and but I don't think that we started with having that knowledge and progressed forward. I think you kind of, you kind of, you gravitate to the things that work, and you kind of discard the things that don't. And body type will kind of tell you those things. It's really interesting because I'm actually helping out two 11 year olds right now, and one of them is built like you, like longer, flexible, long arms. Um, you know, they're both 11. The other one of them are really strong yet, obviously, but really relies on his length and flexibility. And then there's another one that's built, you know, like a brand, like kind of, you know, more sawed off, straightforward, pretty strong for his age and weight. And, you know, I think after talking to you, I think what I got to focus on is, you know, they got to both be able to get to legs, but maybe teaching them the same way to do it is the wrong way. You know, they both got to be able to get off bottom, but I got to teach them different ways to do that because each of them will fit their body styles better. You know, I guess yeah. if, if you were in my position, that's what you would be doing, right? I, I, yeah, I think I would. I would. I would pay attention to what their body can do, you know, and, you know, watch them tumble. Watch them. You know, um, David, this is kind of it's, – it's on the subject, but it's off. But this is very interesting. Um, you know, I, I was able to – I took a couple of kids that I trained in high school while well, they were in high school. I took them to Russia two years ago, two summers ago. And um, I had been to Russia for, you know, seven years in a row while I was training. I went over there and trained and competed. You know, I would do a training camp and then a tournament, you know, and sometimes a training camp and two tournaments. Um, but one thing that I never got to do during my training competition <coughs> – cycle was I didn't get to really study or watch what the Russians do with their kids, with their little guys. Okay. And so I took these two high school kids over there and spent two weeks, almost three, um, in a couple of different clubs, in, one in Moscow and then um, a couple in um, Ulan Ude, which is really far eastern side of the former Soviet Union or Russia, like maybe – um, I don't know, 300 kilometers north of the Mongolian border. I was way out there. And, <laughs> okay. But anyway, I was, I was, it was some really good clubs. My point is that um, I got to watch what they did with their kids, and I got to ask, and, hey, you know what? And one thing that they always did was, um, and they still do, is they um, they just they tumble their kids. They have them do gymnastics. It's, it's, it's one-third of every practice that they did. And so, one, it showed them kind of, you know, which kids um, could do certain things physically and, you know, spatial awareness, that kind of stuff. And then, um, two, it, it, it kind of a, it, it developed it. It developed their ability to, to jump and uh, explode and jump up, jump down, forward, sideways, all that stuff. And then, um, so I got to see that and how important that piece of it is with bringing a kid along. Get them to know their own body before they learn how to move another body, right? And then the second thing was um, the types of techniques that they showed their kids yeah. were techniques that were um, didn't require a ton of grit or fight. 
it was like uh, it was arm throws, it was trips, it was outside trips, inside trips, um, sweeps, um, arm drags to a body lock, um, and stuff that were was physically easy. But here in the United States, we call that high level stuff. They're doing some, some judo in there too. It sounds like. Yeah, little kickups and yeah. stuff that's actually physically easy, but technically a little more complex. Um, but you know, kids pick stuff up. Bottom line, kids pick stuff. Look what you know the female gymnasts do. They're that the stuff they do is crazy, and they're doing it at age twelve, right? And so. But they have no bad the, habits, right? Isn't that part of it? No. Yeah, and the complexity, kids get it. And so what we do here in the states um, is. Well, uh, wrestling 101, um, you got to have a penetration step and a, and a double leg and a single leg. And double leg and single leg puts a kid underneath another kid's body, and then they got to come up. Right. And that's really physically hard when you're not developed, right? It is, yeah. And so it's almost like we, we uh, you know, we, we are successful here in the States in spite of ourselves. You know, we start with double legs, the hardest position. I, you know, I talked to some coaches over there and some wrestlers that I knew, and they're like, you know, um, starting with that is um, <laughs> not, the, starting bright, with not, not leg, the brightest way to do it. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I was like, Eureka, you know, you're right. You know, we just think, you know, sometimes I don't want to speak out of line here or put ourselves down because we are freaking good. We are good. Um, but sometimes I'm just thinking, wow, man, if we – really knew how to start, you know, at a young age, what to do with a 10-year-old or what to do with a 12-year-old. And um, I wonder where we'd be, how good we'd be. Well, I think there's guys, though, like, that are doing this. Like, you know, Eric Carrero's a good friend of mine, and when he, his son first started, he had him do a lot of gymnastics, and I'm sure that's based on his experiences overseas and talking <coughs> to guys like you and John and people like that and understanding – First of all, there's less wear and tear on your body. Second of all, you're, you're learning your own body, to quote you, before you try to move somebody else's. Third of all, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And fourth of all, you know, I think I think people have, like guys only have so many singles and double legs in them, just like running backs have, you know, only so many hits in them. You know, and I think, yeah. like, you know, I, I believe yeah. that. You know, there's only so much tread on the tire. And, you know, if you can kind of space that out and they can learn in different ways, I think, you know, you preserve those guys for longer and longer yeah i think so i think so and you know to to your point with eric you know eric he's really had the uh the fortune of being around john smith and and you know the likes of that level yeah and and so you know i know that but i just you know we've kind of honed in on what works what doesn't and so he's you know been able to benefit from that yeah you know being around that environment well i think I think Eric is is a lot like you. Like you guys are really smart. Um, you're deep thinkers. You know, John's obviously really smart, and smart guys learn. And you know, I don't hate to use the word steal, but you steal from somebody if they know something you don't, and you make it your own, and then you try to expand upon it. So, you know, that makes a no, lot of yeah, sense. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I don't. I don't think I've made up too many things. Although some people <laughs> may think so, but dude, I just want. I see it and then try to do it. Right. Right. Well. You know, there's that old phrase that says either you win or you learn, right? But, you know, sometimes, you know, that's the case. Depends on how you lost and depends on how you deal with it. But, you know, how do you see losing as a valuable process in learning and improvement? 
Well, one, I'll tell you what it did to me just immediately was um, I um, I hated to lose, just hated it. So I was motivated. It's like, oh, what what can I do? What do I need to do? If I if I got to be better, if I need to beat that guy, what do I have to do? And so it would set this it would set this chain of events in motion. Okay, what do I have to do? All right, well, step one, I, I got to work in this area. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to avoid this. And so um, what it did, it was, just, it was losing put me on a fast track to changing that. Some some kids, I think that you you can lose and, and then it demoralizes you a little bit and you're thinking that, well, you just better than me. And um, so, you know, losing for me was, it was super motivating. Hated it. Hated it, but it was, but it was like one of those necessary evils. But it, you hated it, but it didn't demoralize you because of your positivity. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, uh, it was something. It was a gift. It, losing was a gift. It, it, you know, during those early young, I never, dude. I got third at state my senior year at high school, David. So you know, I, <laughs> wow. you know, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I love that. I love that stat. When it happened, I didn't love it, but I love that now. <laughs> well, you got an Olympic gold medal. I've won state yeah. my senior year. I mean, if you want to trade, let me know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I know which one's better. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. But they, uh, but along, you know, those those losses for me, they were a gift. And and they just uh they told me where I was weak. They they helped me um understand my strengths and weaknesses they motivated me to do better in practice um they made me mindful in my drilling the losses man they're so good and, and you know what they're unavoidable so you might as well get used to them you know or not i shouldn't say used to them let's just say be okay with them yeah be well, okay with losing have the have the right approach to it you know like you're saying i think i think the term that comes back to me that what you were saying is is demoralizing because Everybody, nobody who's ever been good at anything in life is happy with losing, right? Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I'm sure if you and me play blackjack, one of us is going to be ticked off if we're both competitive guys. But, you know, it's not what we do full time. You know, you know, probably don't get as a bent about it as if it was wrestling or something else. But your approach to losing, your approach to failure, to use that word, um, I, I think if you were my coach, I would look at him like, man, you know, I guess my job is really to try my ass off and do everything I've been taught because then I'm going to sit down with Coach Cross and we're going to break down what I did wrong so it doesn't happen the next time. And this guy has a track record of being able to lose, being able to fail and bounce back and win, you know, when it really, really counts. I mean, I think that would be tremendously positive for the guys you're, you're coaching, you know, not right now, but for the however many last 15 or so years you've been doing this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, there's one area that um, I uh, I really see that stands out with me as a coach now um, that I that, that I don't know that I get to have a choice as to whether how the kid handles it, um, but it's there. And um, and that is like uh, kids. A lot of uh, uh, I would say that if I work with ten kids, I would say seven of them um, are threatened by criticism. And you know, and you know, so when you, uh, you know, when you need to be critical, critical with a, with a kid, um, and I'll call it constructive criticism, and it kind of loses its meaning because it's used so much. You know, what is constructive criticism? Well, you're being critical, 
and you and you're explaining, oh hey, okay, you know this, you're doing this, and it needs to change to this, or you know however you put it. And um, I would say seven out of ten kids that I work with um, are threatened by the criti criticism. And you know they're the three kids that um, aren't threatened at all, and they learn, and they're not. Um, it doesn't hit them in the head. They absorb it as something that'll make them better. And that's probably got to be a huge deciding factor. Like if you said, you know, hey, there's these 10 kids, predict which of them are going to be great. There's probably seven you can eliminate right away, right? Because like, look, these dudes, you know, you're trying to help them and they just can't, you know, they don't realize you're trying to be positive. You're trying to help them win. They're thin skinned or soft or whatever the case may be. And then the other three, it comes down to, you know, the other factors, athleticism, commitment, all those other kind of things. Yeah. Um, the common phrase for those three kids out of ten, coachable. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say coachability. Yeah, exactly. Coachable, man. Yeah. And so, but, you know, what really truly, what is coachable? Well, it's a kid who's not threatened by your criticism and is motivated by the things that are being truthfully said to you. Because, you know, one thing as a coach that, that I'm learning and, um, I wasn't crazy about it when I was early starting. You know, when, once I got around my own son, I realized I had to be very honest with him in terms of his ability and his skills. And um, and if I and if I tried to sugarcoat it and make it, you know, kind of you know make it all nice and pretty and not as bad as it really is, then I was lying to the kid, and that's not a coach's job. You know, you can't lie to a kid. Right. And um, so being very honest and you know having a way of being able to say it. Um, but being very honest, you know, a good coach, what they, they're going to tell you how it really is, not how it could be or how it should be or, you know, how it really is, you know, in a good constructive way. But in the end of the day, it's got to be truthful. And so how many kids can handle that? Right. I, I, tell me what you think about this. I always think that it's easier as a coach that when kids have lost, if they're good kids, if they try hard, um, when they lose, that's not really the time to get down on them. That's the time to try to find something positive that they can build on. And conversely, when they win, that's probably where you can find a couple things that they could have done better because they can hear it because they have confidence because they're like, all right, yeah, you're right, Coach, but still I won. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I would, exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like um, when are they most receptive. Yeah, but I think a lot of coaches do it the opposite way, right? Like, a lot, you know, in high school, when you win, it doesn't matter how you're a hero. When you lose, it doesn't matter how you suck. And sometimes, a lot of times, that's not true. Not yeah. at all, man. Not at all. You know, yeah, you start pinning your uh, your progress to wins and losses, and, and that's how that happens, you know. Yeah. Progress is progress, is progress whether you're winning a match or losing a match. You're chasing, you know, you you're can... chasing excellence, right? And that's yeah. not always measured. I mean, if I wrestle with you and I get one takedown, that's a lot – better than wrestling against a scrub and getting them all, you know? Right. Yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I want to jump subjects here a little bit. Um, okay. I, uh, I got a chance to watch your uh, video on our, our uh, one of our competitors' websites with you and Helen Marula sparring. And, you know, uh, you know, we watched how well the women did this summer the, you know, how important women's wrestling is to the growth of the sport. Um, I think a lot of people, when women's wrestling first started, they kind of, you know, if they're honest, they kind of held their nose and thought, okay, well, I guess we got to do this. And now I think most people that are open-minded realize, A, we have some amazing wrestlers in our country that happen to be women. 
and B, if we want to grow wrestling collegiately and then, you know, obviously internationally, that women's wrestling is a key part to that. I got a chance to talk to Mark Cody about that with his new programs at, at Presbyterian College. Uh, I guess my first question, I'll go small picture and go big. How good is Helen Maroulis? You know, like, how good is she just period? Man, woman, dinosaur, whatever. How good of a wrestler is she? Oh, man, you know, David, I, she is just as technical, um, just as um, her her sport, her um, wrestling intelligence is, is really high. Um, and so her technical ability and her skills um, are really high. Um, she's an athlete, and, and so she can get her body to do the things that um, she wants her body to do. So I would say she, if you were to just kind of make everything equal in terms of um, physical ability, you know, athleticism, if you make that equal and you, and you boil it down to just her technique and her skill, I would say she's just as good as anybody we have. Period. And, like as good as Burroughs, as good as Steiner, those kind of guys. Yeah, in her own way. You know, yeah. So, you know, it's it's hard to draw that comparison. But you know what? I, I would if, – if we're going to be general, I'm going to say, yeah, she's that good. And and, I've, and, and I'll tell you this. Uh, I've got to give a ton of credit to her um, her direction, which is her, her coach, um, you Val- know, Valentine. Yeah. Yeah, Valentine, um, having been able to be around him here at the uh, the, the – New York City Training Center here that we have. You know, yeah. he and I are coaching it. And um, having been able to be around him in an intimate way and in an in a, in a intimate setting and practices consistently over the course of the last six months, uh-huh. I'm like, wow. And, and so now I understand why Helen is um, amazingly technical, very skillful, strategic, because um, they've spent a ton of time together. And, you know, in wrestling, an in individual sport, I think it happens in any individual sport, your direction um, is so important. So what is that? That's coaching. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, Valentin has poured himself into Helen, and she's picked it up. She's coachable. She's, high, you know, high IQ, high wrestling IQ. Um, she's athletic. Um, all those things that it requires. And, and frankly um, – in the in women's wrestling, Helen Maroulis is pulling away from the field. It's yeah, she's separate. She, she she's, teched her she, way through the worlds last time, right? She's separate. She's separating herself. We talked about this um, with, uh, you know, I had a conversation with her. Um, I don't know. Just once I saw her train and and saw how receptive she was to new ideas and concepts, and she never ever pigeonhole herself into saying, oh, I'm this kind of wrestler. I can't do that. I don't step with that foot. I don't do that. You know, all that negative stuff. She is no negativity in her. And so her ability to learn or be coachable, quote, coachable, it was just off the charts. You know? And and so so once I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, this girl is so special. Um, you, know, you know, I remember uh, saying, you know what, Helen, you're going to separate. And she was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? It was like you're gonna separate from the field, and um, and it's happening. Yeah, it's. I mean, her win happening. at the Olympics was you know legendary, right? I mean, it's it was amazing, and in some ways, you know, her teching everybody the next year was almost 
anticlimactic, you know, like, it'd be like, you know, in the Rocky movies, he just smokes the guy in round one, you know, the next time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but that's what you're saying. It's her separation. It's her growth. Um, I know some people that have uh, been around her at training camps, and they said that she is, you know, was as focused, if not more so, like of all the guys, you know, like men, women, juniors, cadets, senior level, that she was in the top two or three in terms of having a purpose and discipline at every single training session with her meals, with her sleep, with all of it, that she, you know, is 100% yeah. all in committed. Yeah. She, she's, um, she's pretty special. And, uh, and you know, who gets to do what she's going to do? Who gets to, it's the kind of person that has that structure. She's, um, very organized, you know, just mentally very organized with what she wants to do with, if within one practice, within one week, within one month, um, thinking forward, um, looking backward, it's just uh, she's special. Yeah, I have to say. And you know, I'm not. She she uh, she trains out of here, so I get to see her a lot. And that's only that's the reason I know it. And it's not. Well, it's just because of that I've been around her. You know, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's you know one of the reasons why. I, I thought if anybody was qualified to answer that besides Valentine, it would be somebody like you. So what are your, your, I mean, I think, you know, the obvious thoughts that women's wrestling is good for the sport, but, you know, what maybe specific insights do you have on, you know, I think women in general are more flexible than men and you had a really high style of flexibility, you know, like what sort of, uh, you know, what do you see the, the future for women's wrestling being here in the United States? Well, you know, I hope it's growing, you know, and I think it is, you know, I remember the first time I was actually around some really good um, girls that wrestled. Um, I was, uh, I was really, I didn't know what to think. Having not been around any, I'm saying, man, this is 20, 25 years ago when, you know, um, Trisha Saunders was kind of, you know, the, the pioneer of yeah. women's wrestling, you know, um, you know, and I, I got around some of the the women who were wrestling, you know, alongside her and then got around her. And I was really, uh, I was encouraged by, the, by how, um, focused they were and motivated, um, just like we are, just like, you know, the men are. And I didn't know that. I didn't, I, I kind of, I didn't know what a girl's motivation was for being into wrestling before I ever understood it or knew it when it was still new, you know? Um, and then I was really refreshed and encouraged by the fact that they were just like, just like me. They wanted to win. They were committed. They were focused. They were doing the right things. They had discipline, all those things. And so, you know, then all of a sudden it's a matter of time before they take off, you know. And so um, having been around the girls that I've been around, which are, are higher level girls, and if we just keep, you know, flooding the gates with, with that kind of girl, we're going to be, we're going to be dominant. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. and, um, I think that it's becoming more accepted. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, but um, here at Columbia, um, Kira Berry, uh, David and Kira Berry, they're pretty heavily involved on the support side of the regional training center and, and also just supporting Columbia wrestling. But um, we, we're we working on um, Columbia being one of the first schools, kind of going through that process of possibly being one of the first uh, D1 schools to uh support women's wrestling yeah that's fantastic i didn't know that i know yeah that, that yeah, we, guys like colad and john are pushing for emerging status and and, Ter and tom brands 
And uh, I got a chance to interview Mark Cody, who I know you're close with, about the women's program and the men's program at Presbyterian College. So that's that's great that you guys are pushing in that direction. Well, it's going to happen. You know, the question is where is it going to happen? And, and um, you know, with the right with the right support, um, you know, people right people behind it. Kira Berry, she's a, a Columbia grad, was a Columbia athlete in soccer, and um, and you know. Having her support just here at Columbia and the kind of um, just the influence that she has to make these this kind of thing happen, it's it's just a matter of time. And you know we've we've got a um, a girl named Bree Santos who um, is in a position to be the first D1 wrestler at Columbia. You know, so it's kind of interesting. It's it's on its way, and uh, and I think it's it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um is that is she related to Steve Santos, the wrestler from there? No, it's like it starts with a C. Her last oh. name is like T S O N T O S like I gotcha. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the RTC up there. So um first of all, it's in literally New York City at Columbia University. You're the RTC head coach and Zach Tanelli is the head coach of the men's team there, correct? Of the men's team at Columbia. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, at the college right. team. And then is Valentine mm-hmm. an assistant um, for with you in the uh, RTC program? He's not an assistant. He, we're really tackling this men's and women's program at the RTC together. Okay. You can you can say that you know I would be the men's coach and he would be the women's coach because that's kind of how it's naturally happened. Is you know um, he brought Helen and. Elena Perishkova, right. um, to the training center, and um, and he's certainly you know in charge of Helen and coaching her. And, and there's another girl named Michaela Beck that's really good. She's young, that um, you know he's been working with. Um, so, but you know honestly, we've we've tackled this men's side uh, together, uh, which which really helps me, man. I, I tell you what, I've really learned a ton from Valentin being around him. Just a whole different skill set that he has because he comes from, you know, the Soviet system. Yeah. And he's also, um, you know, one thing that their coaches in the former Soviet Union, one thing that coaches still in Russia, um, they um, go through an accreditation program like like they have a degree. Like a like degree a, in coaching. Yeah. And so and it's not just in coaching, but it's in um, physiology, you know, the, um, biomechanics, you know, just to – Everything, things that, you know, I mean, we've got dads out there, you know, in our kids' corners. You know, my dad coached me. He didn't know a thing about wrestling. That doesn't happen over there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen over there. And so being around him has been a real blessing for me because, Josh, it just makes me realize, um, I don't know how how little I know. I I hate to say that, but, man. Well, maybe just how much there is to know, period. Maybe that's a better way to say it, right? There you go. Because clearly you know a few things. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody would buy that otherwise. But, yeah, yeah. It, it's this Rubik's Cube, and there's always a different way to solve it, right? And But it feeds yeah. into your theory, right, that, like, if you're strong, be flexible. If you're fast, then, you know, figure out a way to beat the slow guy. Like, you know, that's, it sounds like your, your philosophy and how he teaches are, are, have a lot of similarities. They do. I, I really appreciate being around him. I'm, I didn't know, uh, but I'm very uh... – 
I'm a lucky dude right now just being around him because it's a different, it's just a completely different skill set than any of us here in the States have been around. And I really appreciate it. I recognize it and I appreciate it. So, um, but, you know, back to, so, you know, the RTC, um, you know, we, so we're here, um, you know, there, it's two things that we're supporting, which is obviously, I think the, the given is, um, you know, build, bringing, you know, making our world and Olympic team, uh, you know, putting people in a position through the training center to make our world and Olympic teams. And that's one piece of it. But probably the more important piece is that we're, man, we're helping Columbia. You know, the support is, is behind it. the RTC is from Columbia. And um, we, we really want to bring guys in that will – um, lend itself to making Columbia better. That's one. And that's only, one of the big advantages, right? You know that these college guys get to train with these world class guys and be around them and see how they live and everything else, right? Absolutely, training partners. Yeah. Um, influence. Um, you know, the, all those things that go along with. You know, if you're if you're in a, a good environment, you're going to learn from that environment. If you're not, well, where whatever environment you're in, that's what you're going to learn from. And yeah, so having this RTC. Um, it, it's, it brings me into the fold. Um, I work with these Columbia guys. Valentin does the same. And uh, the idea, uh, we're, you know, we're eight months into this. The idea is to, you know, in 2024 maybe, to, you know, going into that quad, which, you know, means three years from now, the 20 to 24, that we should be, you know, kind of, you know, up and running, full steam ahead, have guys here that will uh, interface with the guys at Columbia. And, you know, so what I hope to happen is this. I hope that, um, you know, the guy, the kids like, I, 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 what comes to mind is like uh, Yanni Diakamahalas, okay? Yeah. Um, and Vito Arugia, right? Right. So, you know, they, grade-wise and score-wise, they had the grades and scores to go into Ivy League. You know, they were borderline right there. And um, they went to Cornell. And, um, well, why, were, why did they not go anywhere else in the Ivy? Um, from a wrestling standpoint, uh, you know, outside of, well, really it was just Cornell. It, you know, there, there aren't a whole lot of choices. And so by default, okay, they go to Cornell. Well, maybe now the next Yanni Diakamahalis, um will consider coming to Columbia because we have what he needs if he wants to go on and be in the Olympics and Worlds. Right. And, and, so it's and so these best, best guys are guys that are thinking big like that. You know I mean? You know, Snyder's obviously, I think, the poster boy for that, right? Doing it while he's in college. Jaden Cox, another guy like that. But there's more and more yeah. of these superstars in high school that winning national titles in college is just literally a part of their process. It's not their goal. Right, and, and so in, in, de in deciding where to go to school, if you have the grades and the scores um, to be able to get into an Ivy League, all of a sudden, Columbia is an option now. And I think that's well, that's important to me. You know, I, I would like to get a, a, develop a kid, you know, bring him in, be exposed to him in high school. He comes to Columbia. How can you argue with a Columbia degree? But you also have this 8- to 10-year plan to try to uh, be, make a World or Olympic team. And uh, that's exciting. You know, yeah. it's exciting for me um, to be able to do that. So, Kendall, some mutual friends have been talking to me about what you're doing out there at the RTC. 
and they wanted me to ask you specifically about some of the world-class talent you're bringing in from outside of the United States and how you're using that to not only make the folks there in New York better, but people from all around the country. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing there? Um, well, yeah, you bet. Uh, so, you know, one of the, uh, yeah, one of the unique things that I think we have going here is we've built some relationships and are building relationships with um, foreign coaches, Russian coaches, Russian wrestlers, um, Georgians, um, and uh, bringing them into our camp system. And then also uh, we have it set up where we can bring in, and we did this just recently, brought in two Dagestani wrestlers. Um, that stayed with us for the whole month of November and worked at our RTC practices, and we had them interface with our Columbia guys at our practices. And so for a month, um, you know, the Columbia wrestlers had access to these Dagestani wrestlers. And, and uh, um, one of them, uh, Muradin Kushkov, was a, uh, a Russian national champion, won Uregan at heavyweight. And wow. so he was really good for – oh, it was great. It was He, he came in and – you know, worked with uh, Garrett Ryan, who's our heavyweight, who has a really good shot at, uh, you know, being All-American this right. year. Absolutely. And um, so we've brought in Frank Chimizo, yeah. world champion, Olympic bronze medalist. Uh, he came in for our, one of our camps this summer. Um, another very interesting one is um, Olympic champion from Georgia, um, Vladimir Kinchigashvili. Um, we guy, actually – That guy's we, legendary. Done, yeah. Oh, right, right. And, you know, we, we did kind of an exchange with him where he came in and spent – two weeks here and then we uh, myself valentine and helen went over to tbilisi georgia and spent a week with them over there and um just you know building relationships where we can have top-notch guys from around the world um and and specifically um you know that uh, eastern european part you know russia georgia Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, you know, those relationships where we can bring guys over into our little circle of, uh, you know, our community of wrestling here in New York. And so it's been, um, it's been a pretty, uh, that, that's really, that really kind of, it, it's very unique. It sets us apart a little bit and, you know, it's, um, it just really hasn't been done up to this point. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also uh, friends with pretty good friends with Alex Deringer. He actually did a seminar here this summer in St. Louis and stayed with me, and um, he told me that he had been out to your place as well, right? Right. Alex came out when we had the two Dagestani wrestlers in for the month of November. Yeah. And, you know, and it's so, yeah, it attracted Alex. Um, Gwazdowski came out with the, when we had the heavyweight, Kushkov. Um, Gwazdowski came out and spent a few days, three, four days. We've had we've had Burles out here. We've had Steber, you know, because when you bring in the, that level of guy, especially, um, you know, there we had over the summer we had Magomed Kurbanalia, who's yeah. a world champion, yeah. Yeah. world champion at 70 kilos. When he came out, you know, of course, you know, it brought the Stevers um, to us, you know, and so you know, Logan came out and worked with uh, Kurbanalia during that time. We had another one, um, Badrudinov, who's a junior world champion at a lighter weight, 57 kilo. And so it, it attracted our best guys, our best American wrestlers, when those guys came in. So, yeah, it's pretty unique, man. I, I, uh, I'm pumped about it. And, you know, with the help of Valentin, I think Valentin is kind of the, the secret sauce in this thing because he can communicate with these guys, and um, they know him, they trust him, and so they come. 
Yeah, that's awesome. One, I, one question I want to ask about that is, you know, if I got to be a fly on the wall, I'd be running an, a video camera and writing notes, you know, the coach and the fan in me. But if I'm a guy, you know, if I'm Logan Stever and I'm training with somebody that might, or like, let's say Gwiz and the heavyweight, are these guys pretty generous with each other in terms of what they know, or is it kind of guarded? No, you know what? I, I, they're they're people, uh, which is really cool to to find out when you get to you you have dinner with them, you get on the mat with them, and then you know I think we're all helping each other, and and also it's it's a, a little bit of the understanding on the whole deal is that we want to learn from them, and you know I think that you know anytime you want to learn from somebody and they 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 come they agree to come and work with us, then you know they're open to um, showing what they know. And so it's actually been a really interesting thing, just the uh, the way the practices have flowed, you know, like uh, how it, how um, we just kind of treat it like a workshop, like what are you doing here? And then you know, okay, this is what we do, this is how you do it, and and oh, let me see it, you know, let's let's see it live, and you know, and so it's really a it's a cool thing. It's not like a clinic arrangement; it's workshop uh, where you just kind of tinkering with things. That distinction is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, just like, you're not going to come in and, you know, teach 20 things today. It's, you know, hey, man, you know, we're not, you know, we'd like to get better in this situation. How do you handle it? That kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's for, as a coach, it's been really, it's, it's, it's been, it's been really cool because I've not ever had any kind of practices where, you know, with that level from that part of the world, um, you know, come and, and, and work in that environment. And it's, you know, it's very casual, uh, comfortable, and, you know, because, you know, we, they're here long enough where we get to know them a little bit. And, um, you know, and then it turns out, you know, we're friends for life. You know, it's, it's a really neat thing. I communicate with all these guys that have come over, you know, they follow each other on social media and, you know, it's just, it's just really cool. Well, for people that want to support the NYC RTC, I think I got all those initials, right. Um, mm -hmm. is there a website or something they can do to, to learn more about it? And if they want to donate, how can they do that? Um, we have a social media presence. Um, you know, it, we have a, you know, we're on, uh, you, we got a Twitter, NYCRTC. You can go there. Um, we've got a little bit of an Instagram presence, you know, so we're just kind of getting that up and running. And it's been, um, you know, we're taking baby steps. You know, as of right now, um, I've got one athlete here. Um, and it, uh, Nestor Tefer, I'm not sure if you know who that is. You know, Nestor from Boston. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, so, you know, we're uh, gradually getting to the point where, you know, we just we just didn't jump in and, you know, sign up eight guys that can may or may, or may not be able to make teams. You know, we're picking the right people, um, you know, for our culture. You know, I, I want to work with certain types of kids and, um, you know, that can, you know, one that can help with Columbia. That's probably the biggest thing is, you know, being able to help with Columbia. And um, so right now we've got one athlete, and um, we're certainly uh, eyeing, you know, some possibilities around the country um, that fits in with what we're doing. And and um, so, yeah, just to be able to access us, you know, I think, you know, just going on social media, NYCRTC. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I, I first of all, I, I've truly enjoyed this, and – um, I want to give a, a thank you to Chance Leonard. He's uh, kind of the one that put, you know, put the bug in my ear that we should talk. And 
uh, you're a guy that when I started doing my podcast, there was a, a list of guys I wanted to have on, and you were on there. So, um, well, that's, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, Chance, man. Chance and I used to wrestle each other when we were kids. Really? Yeah, yeah. He was from, you know, Perry, Oklahoma, obviously. If you, yeah, you know, I, if you I actually just did the play-by-play for that tournament a couple weeks ago. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, so Chance and I actually wrestled each other. And um, so we've, you know, we've grown up in the sport together and you know it's uh it's been neat to see what he's doing with this uh with this movie with the that. price of legacy yeah right right, yeah. right. We're, we're uh we're, we partnered up with him at track on that it's going to be some big stuff coming out about that in the spring and summer for sure so um there's one i think you know I, i'm the son of a, a wrestling coach and you know sure. i go to tournaments and i hear all the time like hey you know your dad did this your mom did this for me you know they probably don't even remember um I was in Stillwater in 2012, and uh, I think you know that Eric, Eric and I are really good friends, and he was helping Coleman get ready for the trials, and uh, mm-hmm. I was with Coleman. Somehow, I ended up eating lunch with him at the Panera right there down the street from Gallagher, and mm-hmm. some guy walks up to him, kind of a smart aleck, and says to him, how do you think you're going to make the Olympic team? You know, you've never made a national team. And he goes, Kendall Cross told me all we do is make Olympic teams. And he just had the biggest smile on his face. And, I mean, <laughs> I, I thought, man, he might knock this dude out. That was the first thing I thought, you know, and the guy would have yeah. it coming. But I think you should probably know that just the influence that I that was like the guy hadn't even finished the sentence, and that's what came out of his mouth. So I thought – you know, that was, I don't know if you, you know, if you have any idea that's the kind of influence you had on him, but to me, that was really? a really, really cool story. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Coleman, I, I love the dude, you know, we're really good friends, and, and um, I was plugged into his training while he was going through, um, especially the last quad, um, and, and um, you know, it, it was it was circumstantial, it's like, all right, man, you know, I think we all try to make teams, we all try to make every every team that, you know, every year, but at the end of the day, it's the Olympics. And, and so I just wanted to keep him focused on that. I remember, I, I don't know how many times I've said that to him. Like, dude, this is how mine went. And so I was, you know, encouraging him, you know, it doesn't matter that you haven't made a, um, a world team. It doesn't matter because, you know, success or you, know, you can get progress. Progress isn't this linear upward sloping line that you think it is. It's like up, down, you know, steep, shallow. And so maybe generally it <coughs> progresses upward, but success is not linear. You can go from, I mean, well, I'll, my NCAA, I was sixth, first, third. Well, that's not linear. You know? and so, <laughs> not at all, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so, you know, you just can't, you can't tie progress to this nice upward sloping line. You just can't. And so that was my point with him was, dude, it doesn't matter. You don't have to make a world team. Go make the Olympic team, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of cool. That's cool to hear because, I, um, well, he, he took it to heart. First, literally, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, probably prevented somebody from going to the hospital too. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, the guy right, would have right. had it coming, but, but it still probably yeah. wouldn't have been the best for everybody involved, yeah. Right, right. Well, I appreciate you taking so much time. And, um, you know, I want to wish you the best of luck. I'm sure I will see you uh, probably at the World Cup in April and then, you know, probably again uh, at the U.S. Open too. So 
Um, is there anything else you want to get out to the folks that are listening before we sign off? No, I think that's it, man. I think we covered a lot of ground. It's kind of it was a technical, and and uh, what we talked about it was fun. Um, you're very knowledgeable. I appreciate um, your depth of knowledge, just in the background, the history. It's awesome. It's always good to talk to a wrestler, a real one. When you get to talk, thank you very much. When you get to talk to guys like you every week, it's uh, you know, you get with the program and you get out of the way. It's, you have two choices, you know. So <laughs> I'm just yeah, trying to yeah. just trying to keep up with guys like you. Yeah. But I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you um, probably probably soon, like I said, in Iowa right. or in Vegas. Okay. All right, that sounds good, Andy. All right, ladies and gentlemen from New York City and the New York uh, New York City RTC. Olympic champion Kendall Cross. This was David Mercatani with Matt Chat. We'll speak to you all next week.